Dr. Michael Wald, thank you so much for joining me today. This is another great topic. We do such great topics, not because of me, but because of you. You are the ones that are suggesting these topics. So today the topic is is actually how to skyrocket your health to the next level. So I'll be reviewing and starting in a few minutes, simple things that you can do on a daily basis or a fairly frequent basis that should add up to hopefully a longer life, but I would think at least living longer during what I've called in other shows, living longer during the non-disability stage of life. That is the stage of life where you are basically physically, mentally, emotionally, and energetically ready to enjoy all that life has to offer. Before we get into that, I need you to write something down. So get a pen. Okay. Have you, have you gotten that pen yet? Okay, good, good. I want to invite each and every one of you to my new open house, which is October 26th. That's a Friday, October 26th. That's a Friday in Katona, New York. Where's Katona, New York? Don't worry. You just go to Grand Central Station and you get on the Metro North. It's a 55-minute train ride to Katona. And then when you get off, you just take a little taxi, three minutes to my place. First of all, I want to meet you. I want to thank you personally for listening to Ask the Blood Detective and making the show the success that it's become. So thank you now, but I'd like to thank you and shake your hand. And if you come to the open house, you'll get to see the new office. You'll see all the technologies. You'll see the pool where we do rehab. You'll see the gym where I show people how to exercise properly. I'll invite you up to the kitchen where we uh, teach people how to make healthy foods and uh, juicing, and you get to sample all sorts of vegan foods. So if I want you to come hungry because you're not going to be hungry when you leave. So it's October 26th, which is a Friday, and you can show up anytime from 3 p.m. all the way to 7.30 p.m. But you do have to RSVP, so I need to know you're coming in advance and with how many people so I can plan appropriately. Got to have enough healthy food ready for you, right? Of course. So I need you to email me at info at blooddetective.com. That's info, like information, info at blooddetective.com. So let's get into the show topic of today, which is again, how to skyrocket your health to the next level. Now, sometimes we hear on the news and we read in different places that, you know, the, the cure for cancer is here and it's one small pill or the best new supplement to take or to feel your best is this or it's that. And sometimes there is a breakthrough and there are breakthroughs that do happen. But I dare to say that most of the breakthroughs are not with any one thing that you should do. It's usually a combination of things. In other words, sleeping well, drinking clean water, eating healthy food, reducing your stress, avoiding GMO and gluten foods, you get the picture. It's a combination of efforts that tend to add up over time to producing health. 
And I'm really struck each day when I sit with patients and they say, Dr. Wald, I don't understand how I got lung cancer. I've been taking truckloads of vitamin C forever. So you can see what I mean. Vitamin C alone is not the cure for cancer. Vitamin C alone is not the ultimate preventer, preventer of cancer. There, it may be included as one of the several things a person should probably do. But once again, I think you get where I'm going with this. It's a combination of things that we do. But the next thing that's important to know to skyrocket your health to the next level is yes, there may be several things we need to do in our lifestyle, you know, during the course of our day in terms of improvement of lifestyle. But the other key component is to do these things on a regular basis. If things are done inconsistently, then the body may not benefit from them in a long-term way. So if someone says to me, Dr. Wald, um, I, skipped my, I took my supplements like you said, but I, I, didn't, I didn't take them for three days out of the month. Well, the thing about those three days is they could make the entire difference between the blood concentrations of your supplements going from therapeutic levels to non-therapeutic levels such that of the month, let's just call it 30 days, and three of those days, things were not done at all. You might only get the value of, let's say, on average, 10 days out of the month. Yeah. So when someone skips their nutrients, and this, of course, does vary on the nutrient, even for one single day, it could take three, four, five days to get that level up again just by missing it for one day. So the point I'm trying to make here is that when I speak about all these ways, which I will in a moment, that we can skyrocket our health to the next level, no one of these is the answer. It's the combination of these things. And these aren't everything a, a person could do to skyrocket their health to the next level, but these are many things that I think are, are practical, they are achievable, and they have a measurable potential for improving health span. That's health span, how long we live during the non-disability stage of life. So let me give you the first one. But before I do, I want to join those that are joining us for the first time or just listening into the show. My name is Dr. Michael Wall. This is Ask the Blood Detective. We're just about to talk about daily habits that you can do that if you are consistent with them and you add them up properly for your needs, you could live longer during the non-disability stage of your life. If you want to get me some of your radio show ideas, please give me a call at 914-552-1442. That's 914-552-1442. Or you can... Email me, which is much better, at info at blooddetective.com. That's info at blooddetective.com. So let's talk about skyrocketing our mental powers because we have a horrific problem on our hands. We have skyrocketing incidence of Alzheimer's dementia, which is memory loss, as I'm sure everyone knows. Dementia is not inevitable. 
and dementia is not caused by age. Dementia is caused by factors concomitant with age that cause brain decay. We'll just call it brain decay. There are some individuals that are strongly genetically predisposed, but these are very, very few individuals. And those individuals do not come close to explaining the horrific worldwide incidence of dementia that we see with both men and women. It just doesn't account for it. So what the thing to do is this. Number one, for offsetting dementia, which will literally steal your life away. And if you want to live longer, live longer during the non-disability stage of life where you are who you are and don't lose your sense of self would be to protect your cardiovascular system. That's a little shocking to some of you. What does the cardiovascular system have to do with the brain? Well, some of you do know. The brain gets a blood supply. Now, all of you now know this, right? Okay. So the thing to do is to recognize that arterial sclerosis and placking and blockage of arteries and uh, smaller capillaries in the brain will choke off blood supply to the neurons, which are the brain cells, causing brain decay, brain degeneration, and ultimately dementia. Now, a person could be fine, and they could begin by experiencing memory loss and Uh, Perhaps they are more and more forgetful. But one too many times they leave their keys in the refrigerator, there's there's a problem. And the thing about dementia is, and I would suggest this for everyone, it's a condition that once you have it, you're done. There's no coming back from it at all. There isn't a neurologist on this planet or a neurobiologist that has any magic pill or combination of pills or any practice or procedure that will reverse the brain decay characteristic of both Alzheimer's dementia and just dementia. When the neurons die in the substantia nigra, which is an area of the brainstem, and also the hippocampus, we've got problems. The thing about Alzheimer's dementia is that it involves the entire brain. So I just named a few parts of the brain, but really the entire brain is affected. So number one, protect your cardiovascular system. Exercise. Eat right, meaning eat lower down on the food chain. Eat as few animal products as possible. Never have fried foods. Then you want to take certain supplements. The first thing you want to think about is what? Fish oil. But specifically, The DHA component of fish oil, which I have in a liquid form, you can find that on blooddetective.com, but DHA is the most abundant phospholipid in the brain. That means it's most abundant in all of the brain cells. And that helps to offset one's risk of dementia. Once you have dementia, there isn't a nutrient or a supplement or a nutraceutical or a food on this planet that's going to help you. Another thing would be to have fun in life because we know that being happy somehow slightly offsets our risk of dementia, slightly. Mentally challenge your brain, mentally challenge yourself because when we mentally challenge ourselves, when we learn things we don't normally know and do things we don't normally do, we're activating new neuronal connections that can reinforce 
the degenerative ones. But you also want to do those things that you do know. If you like to read certain types of books, read those books. If you like to exercise a specific way or expose yourself to certain types of, um, um, let's say, things that you love to do, let's say uh, looking at painting, paintings or actually paintings. What I'm trying to say here, which I'm um, forgetting myself, is if you do things you've always done, you will reinforce those pathways, but they'll tend to have a degenerative tendency if you're prone to dementia. If you then add on new things, you really reinforce and bump those neurons uh, in terms of repair and stability to a whole new level. And you must, must, must remain active. That improves circulation, improves lymphatic flow, reduces cardiovascular risk, increases circulation to the brain. So you can see there are many things one would do to help offset dementia. And of course, I could have named many other nutrients. And I also should say, you know, juicing is a wonderful thing to be doing as well. But a combination of these things is ideal. You know, before I move on from cardiovascular protection for uh, dementia, um, I want to mention a, a few other things. The combination of uh, polycosinols, which is from sugarcane extract, very, very effective for reducing uh, cholesterol and calcium placking, along with uh, Google extract, and what are known as plant sterile complexes. The most popular one of these plant sterile complexes is called beta-cystosterol. And each of these things is useful, but each of these things together is far more useful. That's just like the topic of today's show on skyrocketing your health. It's not one lifestyle change. It's a combination of lifestyle changes. And also, in addition to the polycosinol and the Google extract and the plant sterile complexes, cayenne pepper and also garlic. Very, very important to take those with cardiovascular disease and if you're on a blood thinner, then don't add extra garlic because that might cause excessive uh, blood thinning. But in most diseases, we have blood thickening. We have an increase in what's known as blood viscosity. And another generalized concept that goes towards improving overall health and well-being is that of a hormone balance. And what's so convenient about the use of certain herbs, as well as the actual hormones themselves. But I like the use of herbs, I would say most of the time better than giving individual hormones, is that every organ in the body is dependent upon hormones. And hormones maintain the structural integrity of our, of our body systems. Every cell, every tissue, every organ, and every organ system. And once we hit about age 30 or so, a variety of our hormones just start dropping off precipitously in terms of their what's called endogenous production in the body. One of these hormones sounds like fish oil, a DHA, but it's called DHEA. We've talked about it before. It's an adrenal hormone, but that's not the only one. Now, I commonly do recommend a DHEA and also pregnenolone and other hormones to my patients. But as a general hormone tonifier, the combination of about six or seven herbs 
has been shown to be quite effective for what they call hormone modulation, which means that if hormone levels are too low, it tends to improve the body's production of hormones overall and in a healthy way. And if hormones are too high, it tends to bring them down, just like a biologic response modifier, which is a product, a food or a supplement that modifies biologic response. So of the hormones that I've put together in sort of a combination tincture, I call it endocrine tincture. It's the use of erythrococcus along with kelp and astragalus root, black cohosh, I'll start them again so you might want to write these down, erythrococcus, kelp, astragalus, black cohosh, chase tree berries, saw palmetto berries, parsley, alfalfa, and finally, prickly ash bark. These particular herbs in combination have a super synergistic effect. So a synergistic effect is when you combine herbs together and they, one plus one might equal three rather than two. But a super synergistic effect is when hormones work in exponentially higher ways simply because of the way that you combine them. So to maintain brain integrity, immune integrity, to control inflammation and tissue repair, cardiovascular protectiveness, and of course, overall hormone balance, you might want to consider a combination product like my endocrine tincture, or at least taking individually those different herbs that I've mentioned. So let's move on to something else, exfoliation. With, let's say, a sea sponge, you know, in the shower, exfoliating your, your face and your body, this is a very healthy thing to do. There are some very silly things that I hear about skin exfoliation. This is where natural health gets a bit of a bad name. So for example, you'll see on, on the web, if you search skin exfoliation, that it claims to reduce cellulite. I promise you it doesn't. It's just not happening. But <laughs> what exfoliation will do is increase circulation to the upper layers of the body where you're exfoliating by removing dead skins, you're unclogging pores, and that improves detoxification of certain uh, toxins like urea. You're not detoxifying, by the way, metals through your skin. That's not how the body detoxifies metals, although you'll, you'll hear some some claims to that effect. And exfoliation of the entire body will improve lymphatic flow because the lymphatic system is located in the skin and it's stimulated, improving and increasing the rate at which the body's lymphatic system works. So it just basically gets a jump start. And all of the dead and dying cells in the body, they are removed from the body or from general circulation, I should say, through the lymphatic system. So exfoliation is extremely important. I would follow the exfoliation with, a top, with topical flax oil because first of all, flax oil, as you know, is an omega-3, 6, and 9 oil. If you rub it on the skin, it will be absorbed transdermally through the skin into the bloodstream. Not all of it, but you're going to get a good amount. But when you exfoliate and then follow it up with flax oil, it will hyperabsorb, meaning the skin will hyperabsorb the flax oil 
So you'll become hyperhydrated. Not to mention, you'll increase the absorption of the omega 3s, 6s, and 9s found in flaxseed oil much, much better, which we need for all sorts of health benefits. Let's talk about juicing. Juicing is kind of like supplements. Juicing is hyper-concentrating certain foods so you get health benefits that would be very, very difficult to get if you were to eat the individual fruits or vegetables alone. So for those of you who juice, if you juice, let's say, a bunch of green leafy vegetables and multicolored vegetables, if you put them on the, you know, on the counter, you might have six, seven, eight, nine, ten pieces. You couldn't possibly eat them on a regular basis, but you could juice them. And if you're talking about vegetable sugars, vegetable starch, you don't have to worry about screwing up your blood sugar. If you're talking about juicing with, with uh, fruits and you're removing the fiber, that could potentially cause blood sugar dysregulation in some people. I have seen it, and I would say it happens, I would say two, three times out of 10. Now, there are so many health benefits of juicing fruits that I'll usually have my patients juice their fruits, but I'll also add my blood sugar balance supplement, which will give them some concentrated forms of various factors that are very powerful blood sugar agents. So for example, a lot of us have heard about cinnamon. So we need at least 500 milligrams of a pharmaceutical grade cinnamon to help blood sugar. But alone, folks, it's not going to work. If you wanted it to work for blood sugar, you'd probably have to go into the two, 3,000 milligram range. That would probably cause such gastric upset that you couldn't continue. But if you start with 500 milligrams and also with some gemma sylvestri at about 200 milligrams and then L-taurine and one of my favorites, alpha-lipoic acid at 150 milligrams, you're going to have an effective blood sugar balancing agent. Alpha-lipoic acid alone, I'm going to break my own rule here, here if the dose were high enough, is very effective for lowering blood sugar. It's so effective that it can cause dangerously low blood sugar for people who do not know how to manage it. But in, in addition to the cinnamon and uh, the L-taurine and the alpha-lipoic acid and the gemma sylvestri, I like to add green tea, which has that active ingredient in it called EGCG. This is very important, not just as an anti-cancer agent, anti-inflammatory immune modulator, but also helps balance blood sugar. I add that in my blood sugar balance with some vanadyl sulfate. You've always got to have a good amount of chromium, chromium polynicotinate, that's the one you want. And then I put some B6 and B12 and biotin. All of those together gives us a very effective blood sugar mix. Now, we all know that if we have problems with blood sugar, that will tend to cause problems anywhere in the body. So as a general health promotive mm, technique, in addition to eating and all the other things we're going to talk about, eating well and exercising and all of that, because blood sugar fundamentally tends to go wrong with most people sooner or later, always having a blood sugar balance product simply makes sense to me.
A patient asked me yesterday how she can have blood sugar issues because she doesn't consume any sugar. I let her know, and I drew on my, my um, blackboard here, I said, here's protein, here's carbohydrates, and here's fats. Each of those have to be broken down in the body. Ultimately, they're all broken down into glucose, which is sugar. How they get to glucose could be in a very good way or a very bad way, which might explain and does explain why someone's blood sugar goes haywire. So everything you eat is ultimately broken down into blood sugar. But how it gets there depends on your unique physiology and that'll determine whether or not you have a favorable or adverse effect of that food. I've had patients who have acted, who have reacted in terms of blood sugar very poorly to high quality protein. And then when they ate pasta, they had better blood sugar balance. Who would have thought? Now that's not mostly what you're going to hear, but that does happen. My point here is that people do respond differently to different things. So Going back to the juicing, studies have seemed to demonstrate that the larger the amount of fruits and vegetables that an individual consumes each day, that the longer they live during the non-disability stage of life, which is where you want to live, and the less disease instance they have. They tend to live longer before disease strikes, or if disease strikes at all. But the number of fruits and vegetables on average to eat per day are 10, 10 to 12. So uh, I, I can't do that. I cannot do that with my schedule. I just can't do it. So that's why I take my superfoods, which I call Detox 1, Detox 2, Detox 3, and Detox 4. Many of you have heard me talk about these. One of them is a concentration of red plants, orange plants, purple plants, and green plants. And unless you're on blood thinners, you probably need them all. Because if you're going to do one smart thing for yourself, it's juicing like crazy. And what I do is I juice and I add my superfoods into my juices. So each of, let's say, one scoop of my Detox 1 and one scoop of 2, 3, and 4 are giving you the nutritional equivalent of over 72 pieces of plant foods. So that's meant for someone who wants to stay well really create a very, very steady immune system and inflammation control. Let's talk about another factor that's involved in aging and of all forms of disease. And I mentioned it before, and that is coagulation. So what seems to happen due to inflammation, due to tissue breakdown, due to the effects of aging upon your body and other health problems and genetics that you may have, the body's blood tends to become a bit viscous. Cells stick together, red blood cells stick together, platelets stick together. And the failure of most, or I should say some traditional doctors, is that they work people up by doing very superficial labs and very few are looking at the blood work microscopically, what's called a peripheral blood smear. So if you do not look at if platelets are stuck together, let's say you have 10 platelets stuck together. The automated machine used to measure platelets, where you see platelets listed on your blood test, it might 
miscount those 10 platelets which are stuck together as one big glob as one platelet. It also might mistake a test called MCV as being elevated, meaning that your red blood cells are too large because a bunch of red blood cells are stuck together so they're measured inappropriately as a single large red blood cell. What I'm saying here is that if you wanna bring your health to the next level, you need to consider a peripheral blood smear. Even the New England Journal of Medicine some years back explained how this test, the peripheral blood smear, is one of these underutilized, super important tests, particularly if it's in the hands of a qualified natural healthcare provider. That, that's me talking. Uh, I wrote a software program that interprets peripheral blood smears and I wrote a book on the nutritional interpretation of it. There's no other software program or book on this topic ever written, except in hematology textbooks because it's the hematologists that tend to, uh, they're the ones that are doing peripheral blood smears. They know nutrition and they don't even know they know some nutrition. Their books describe several problems with the appearance and types of let's say red blood cells and then nutritional meaning. But very few oncologists recommend nutrition, even though it's in their textbooks. So what about this stickiness thing we started talking about? Different nutrients help unstick different cells. So if someone says to you, oh, the best natural anticoagulant is uh, natokine. So that's called, that's a fermented um, Japanese brand of soy. Natokine, they say, well, that's the best thing for unsticking your cells. And someone else will say, no, 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 omega-3 fatty acids are best. Someone else will say it's ginkgo. Someone else will say folic acid. The truth is all of those have anticoagulant effects or vitamin E. I can't forget vitamin E. They all have anticoagulant effects, anti-sticky effects, but with different cells or some, some of them overlap. So for example, if you have sticky platelets, and you would know that by looking under the microscope, well, having your doctor look under the microscope, and if you have sticky platelets, vitamin E is known to be a platelet anti-aggregator, which is one of the reasons why you've heard your doctors might have said to you, do not take any nutrients at all, particularly vitamin E, before your surgery. And I understand their reasoning because they feel that you might bleed too much. But most diseases and surgeries are pro-coagulation. So the recommendation doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But I do support the recommendation just for legal reasons, to be perfectly honest with you. But vitamin E is known to reduce cardiovascular risk by unsticking platelets. And that is how aspirin works except aspirin uh, can cause hemorrhagic stroke if you take too much. And no matter how much vitamin E you take, you're not gonna get that. Nutrients as a rule are multiple times safer than their drug counterparts. But what about the example I said earlier? What about, let's say, natokine, the Japanese fermented soy? Well, that is a powerful anticoagulant, and I use quite a lot of it but it helps to reduce and dissolve these protein filaments 
that float around in the blood, a protein is called fibrin. So if someone has an elevated fibrin, and that's adding to the viscosity of their blood, which by the way, all of this increased thickening can cause hypertension. It can cause a sluggish, it does call the sluggishness of blood. It will increase the clotting tendency in a person. Therefore, the uh, risk of clotting strokes. And who knows what else? Because when the blood is thicker, it doesn't penetrate tissues in general as well as if it were not hypercoagulable or thicker. If the blood was of normal um, fluidity, let's say, then organs would be very deeply permeated with the blood, which contains the red blood cells, which means it's, they're, they're better oxygenated. But when everything's thicker, it slows down. It's like a stream that's blocked up someplace and you can see the film building up on the, on the wa water in the stream uh, in the areas where the flow is not right. The same happens in the body. So natokine is best for uh, high fibrin or what's known as fibrinogen on a blood test. Vitamin E is best to unstick platelets like aspirin does. And DHA also helps both fibrin and platelet coagulability. And each of these nutrients work much better together as you might imagine, because that's the whole theme of the show, doing things together that add up to something real over time in a regular way. So if you're gonna take natokine, you have to take it every day, sometimes twice a day. You might need to take certain supplements depending on your health problems three times a day. And some people have said to me, Dr. Wall, it's so hard for me to take these three times a day. And I, of course, encourage them as much as I can to take the supplements as they should because there's something called half-life. Half-life is how long the nutrient, uh, how long the nutrient stays in the body in terms of um, what is half of that time. So if, uh, if natokine, I'm just making this up, has the potential of staying in the bloodstream for six hours, its half-life is three hours. If it stays in the bloodstream for six hours, it really does need to be taken three times a day because if you miss a dose, your blood level goes way down and it doesn't just bounce right back up the next time you take it. It has to stop. That's the start from the bottom of the trough, so to speak, of where it was left off when you, were, when you missed a dose. Some people that I've worked with have taken all their nutrients at once in the morning. Well, that's certainly beneficial, but some of the nutrients may teeter out due to their half-lives in two hours and three hours, four hours or five hours. If you're concerned, for example, about, let's say, detoxing xenoestrogens, which are estrogens made from industrial outpouring from plastics manufacturing. Oh, wow, so they say that three times fast. These xenoestrogens are highly toxic. They are always present in the air we breathe. So if you take DIM or DIM, which you'll find in cruciferous vegetables, you need to take that DIM three times a day. Otherwise, you're going to have exposure to those xenoestrogens. So 
Let me move on to a non-nutritional way of boosting your health to the next level over time as, as additive. In other words, in and of itself, there may be some effect, but if you combine each of these things I'm talking about together, you should have super additive effects. So have you ever heard of grounding? You know, when people think about the, the earth, uh, those of us who are naturally minded believe that we're connected to the earth. And we spend quite a lot amount, uh, a lot, I should say, of our time indoors. And uh, we're wearing our shoes, which some would say disconnects us from the earth and therefore from benefiting from that interconnectedness uh, of when we're in contact with the earth. So one of the things that I recommend from time to time uh, is spending at least 30 minutes or so every day barefoot outside for the, for the potential benefit of rebalancing the electromagnetic stress that we're constantly under. So no one quite knows why grounding tends to work, tends to elevate mood and energy. Maybe there's a transfer of electrons from the earth to us. Who knows? None of that's actually been measured. Uh, it doesn't really matter. It seems to work. Anything that makes us happy is a good thing. So I would suggest that the best ways or the best way to re reap the benefits of grounding would be to walk outside. Uh, I know it's going to be cold soon, although it's pretty hot now, but even in the cold, consider that for a little bit of time. If something hurts or is uncomfortable, of course, don't do it. Standing in salt water because seawater is highly conductive of electrons and walking through dew-covered grass, so hurry up, and walking on concrete uh, as opposed to wood or asphalt because wooden asphalt are, uh, they're insulators, so that's not a particularly good thing. So I thought I would mention that. And then there is fermenting, fermenting your own food. So fermenting your own foods is, first of all, it's a delicious way to make your own natural probiotic fungal organisms. And it's not as hard as you think. And the thing is, fermented foods are, are really very powerful detoxifiers because positive fermented fungal organisms and uh, bacteria, they literally are detoxifying machines. They're like nanobots, but they're natural for detoxification. And also these naturally fermented probiotics help to modify the immune response. So I didn't say boost your immunity because boosting your immunity could get you into the autoimmune area, which is not a particularly good thing at all. So we want to balance immune systems, uh, our immune system out. And remember, we have three immune systems, our humoral immune system, our cell-mediated immune system, and our complement immune system. They all benefit from fungal and bacterial probiotics. Also, probiotics help the body produce B vitamins and vitamin K in the intestinal tract. But one of the most interesting things about uh, fermenting foods and fermented products is that they produce what are known as short-chain fatty acids in the intestinal tract. And short-chain fatty acids are absolutely required to help patch up leaky gut and small intestine uh, bacterial overgrowth. 
my oldest son is has been on a real kick of making um, fermented dough and has been making delicious, healthy, natural breads. Absolutely delicious. He's crazy about them, and I am too. So proud of him. Another daily habit that's essential for skyrocketing your health to the next level is proper breathing. For, not, for a lot of reasons, and not just the obvious, which is we need oxygen and we need to expel carbon dioxide and other waste products. But the thing about it is, as most of us know, listening to these kinds of radio shows, we've already heard that people tend to be shallow breathers. If you're a shallow breather, you'll tend to retain carbon dioxide. If you retain carbon dioxide, that's converted into carbonic acid in the body. Being an acid, carbonic acid helps to drop your blood pH. And you don't want to drop your blood pH below 7.35. If you drop your blood pH below 7.35, that is, it's not a, by definition, it's not an acidic number per se, but it is higher concentration, your, your blood, in hydrogen ions which are destructive molecules when in abundance. And that can, be, that can happen when you're a shallow breather. So it seems that belly breathing would obviously be one of the better ways of breathing, where you focus your inward breath as your belly expands. And for those of you not used to belly breathing, as many people I tend to view, even when they come to see me, and I'm, unbeknownst to them, I'm watching them breathe. I can tell you who's anxious. I can tell you who has hypertension uh, just by the breathing. And a lot of people are shallow breathers and they tend to breathe from their chest. So it may take a little practice to belly breathe, but the, by belly breathing, anatomically, you're lowering your diaphragm as you breathe in. And that means you're increasing the, the space within which you can take clean air in. At least we hope it's clean air. The other important health benefit of belly breathing and also breathing in a non-rapid pace, unless you're exercising, of course, is that when you can consciously slow down your breathing, that slowing down of your breathing inevitably is linked to an increase in what's called parasympathetic nerve function. So... You've heard of the term sympathetic. Maybe this guy's sympathetic, this, this gal's sympathetic. That means all the stress hormones are real high and the sympathetic nervous system is running the show, which increases the heart rate, increases the blood pressure, decreases blood to the stomach, increases blood to the muscles, increases reaction time and coordination. That's the fight or flight response, right? When you slow down your breath at any time, you are teaching your body to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. The parasympathetic nervous system is everything that the sympathetic nervous system is not. It's relaxing. It is the one responsible for rest and sleep. And there is no repair unless there is rest and sleep. So we don't simply want to belly breathe. We want to be conscious of the rate in which that we breathe. And when we're under stress, to bring our attention to our breathing and to slow it down. Also, some people that have 
anxiety and too much stress, they will have a health concern where they'll have pins and needle types of feelings in their fingers and sometimes their legs, even their face and, and neck. And this is not from the, a, a nervous system disease. It's actually from hyperventilation, breathing too rapidly. And that rapidity will cause this pins and needles. Lots of people I've seen, they have been through 12 neurologists and all these ER visits. And it was very clear that all they were doing was breathing too rapidly. The other important aspect of moving your health to the next level is to manage what I've called in my prior shows, leaky gut, which everyone has heard of. I certainly didn't make up that term, but I might have very well made up the term leaky mouth. You just have to think of them as as the same kind of problem because they are. Leaky mouth means that the tissues of the mouth, the buccal tissues in the mouth, are inflamed and they are leaky. And if you're looking at them with your naked eye, you may not see that. Just like if you look, if you were able to look at your intestinal tract in front of you on a plate, as gross as that is, but if you were to be able to do that and you had a definite leaky gut, you wouldn't be able to see it by looking at it. That's a microscopic change. So microscopic changes in the mouth can cause leaky mouth. Now, when I did the show called Leaky Mouth Syndrome, that was no joke. I got a lot of calls and feedback on that show, and I appreciate that feedback. And it was mostly that people just didn't have any concept that they can have a leaky mouth. But most people seem to say that they were aware of how when if they had a uh, heart valve problem and they went to the dentist a few years back, the dentist would prescribe antibiotics. And the reason the dentist did, does that or did that was because bacteria from dental work is pushed through the leaky mouth. And the dental work creates injury to the mouth, which is actually could be very visible as far as inflammation and redness and actually blood. If you've got blood when you're at the dentist, you have injured, you have injuries to your mouth caused by the dentist and bacteria can seep in there. They then they get into your circulation. They get right to your heart. They can get caught in the valves and cause endocarditis, inflammation of those valves and death. What's interesting is that the, the dental, American Dental Association had recommended that dentists prescribe antibiotics for anyone with a heart valve problem. But statistics shows that the antibiotics don't work. All they're doing is causing antibiotic resistance in that individual. And that antibiotic resistance is something that that person may have to deal with in their lives when in their 50s, 60s, or early 70s, they may get an infection that at one point was easy to manage. But now, for, because of antibiotic resistance, they cannot manage. The other thing I want to mention, too, that I think it's very important to understand, and you may not have heard this yet, unless I mentioned it on one of my shows, but the blood detective uh, style is to have you think about the little details because they matter. So what I want to mention now is that, let's say, for example... You yourself or someone you know has never taken an antibiotic. 
if that person is exposed to anyone else in their life that has taken an antibiotic, that person is probably antibiotic resistant to some extent. What I'm saying here is that even if you have never taken an antibiotic, but you shake the hand of a person, you're, you're within a sneeze of a person, you touch a surface that any individual with antibiotic resistance had, and they touch that surface and you touch that surface and you bring that saliva to your mouth or your nose, particularly your nose, you could develop antibiotic resistance. I kid you not. I was astounded at an article, well, an entire magazine, the Discover magazine, probably about two years ago, uh, talked about several topics that were of worldwide importance. And one of them was antibiotic resistance. And they, they had the most well-written, uh, inclusive article that I had ever seen about the truth of antibiotic resistance. One of the things they said was what I just said now. You could eat meat products of an animal that developed antibiotic resistance and you can pass on that antibiotic resistance to other people. It's incredible. Just when you thought if you can protect yourself, you're good, you're always at some sort of jeopardy, which is why you want to take immune modulating herbs and nutritional compounds every day, a couple of times per day. Let me give you a few examples. One example of supplementation that one should consider to bring their health to the next level, to skyrocket your health to the next level, is first of all, number one, take nutritional supplements. If you're not taking nutritional supplements, you are simply missing out. I feel very strongly about this and usually when I have conversations with individuals who are not, not for nutritional supplements, they really don't have any evidence to back up their belief system. So I certainly, I certainly uh, appreciate and respect uh, the belief systems of others, but it's good to have some backup for that because you're just missing out. So there is evidence to suggest that the addition of oral immunoglobin. Immunoglobins are part of the immune system. Immunoglobins control inflammation and they are important, if not essential, for tissue healing. And oral immunoglobin G is the most important of the oral immunoglobins that should be taken, taken for overall immune modulation or balancing immunity. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about. You've heard of colostrum. Well, colostrum is healthy because it contains immunoglobin. But an immuno, not all immunoglobin concentrations in colostrum are standardized. So I use one full gram of immunoglobin along with something called lactoferrin, uh, which are essential in balance with a few grams of protein to get a therapeutic effect of immune modulation. So if you have any sort of inflammatory mediated health problem, any autoimmune disease, think of immunoglobin G. The regular docs know all about it because they give IVIG, they call it, intravenous immunoglobins, which don't tend to work that well and create a lot of symptomatic problems. 
ask anyone receiving them, they'll tell you. And then ask them, well, do you feel that this is helping you? Most people won't even be able to tell you that. But oral is different. The other thing is to take a nutritional supplement that has a standardized balance of nutritional compounds which affect overall immunity. The immunoglobin is for the immunoglobin immune system, but the cell-mediated immune system needs different things. So I have a product, I call it Immunobalance 5. So it has things in it called um, dimethylglycine, olive leaf, beta-glucan, and that really powerful maitake PD fraction, along with a certain type of a fiber, which is a very strong immune modulator known as arabinogalactins. So the arabinogalactins, dimethylglycine, olive leaf extract in a 5 to 1 ratio, beta-glucan, which is from positive healthy yeast, and maitake PD fraction, I have that in my Immunobalance 5. You'd want to take any of the supplements that you decide to get from me based on the dose on the bottle if you're of normal weight. But if you're not of normal weight and you're at least 10 pounds heavier than you should be, you should double the dose. And I've talked on the Everything Adrenal Show of the importance of balancing your adrenal function because many health problems are either the result or result in adrenal function problems. There is no one natural element which supports uh, the adrenal function. You want immune modulators that tend to tonify a hyper-responsive immune, I'm sorry, I keep saying immune, a hyper-responsive adrenal gland downward. And if someone has a hypo-adrenal condition, we want the herbs to push them upwards. Those are called adaptogens. So cordyceps senesis, panax ginseng, erythrococcus, ashwagandha, rhodiola, and licorice root. These, this combination has been phenomenal. If you're not going to use my adrenal base that has them all in it, I want to tell you once again what these elements are. You can take them separately, but you want to take them together for super additive effects. The cordyceps, the panax, the erythrococcus, the ashwagandha, the rhodiola, and the licorice. Once the adrenals start to go everything starts to go. Also, you'd want to take something that reduces the production of histamine in the body. Basically, the aging process is one big allergy. Tissues break down, the immune system sees them as foreign, histamine is released, there's more breakdown, it is just a mess. So, I put together a chewable absolutely delicious. I, I love when my patients chew on this stuff because they're half paying attention and they're like, this stuff tastes so good. To reduce histamine, we need vitamin C, obviously. We need zinc arginate. That's the ideal one there, zinc arginate, along with quercetin in the dihydrate form, bromelain, a digestive enzyme which breaks down histamine, bromelain, which is an anti-inflammatory, elderberry as an immune modulator, NN-dimethylglycine, another immune modulator. All of these products together, taken in a couple of chewable tablets per day, help to reduce the production of histamine.
Again, histamine is what comes out of cells when there's an allergic response, whether you're exposed to environmental allergens or food allergies or chemical allergens, but also when you're allergic to yourself, which happens when you age. So if you're aging badly, if you're, you just have conditions that are chronic, all I would then consider that excessive histamine release or a histaminic condition is a problem. On my website too at intmedny.com, there's a lot more information on there. You can search the search bar for histamine diet. And for those of you who haven't been to my website, it is intmedny.com under the blog section or all the radio shows, under the video section or all the, a lot of the videos that I did. You'll email me at info at blooddetective.com. And the last thing I'll mention is buffered vitamin C in a powder. Since disease is acidic, we want to be more buffered. If you maintain your vitamin C level daily by taking about a half to one or more level teaspoons of a buffered vitamin C each day, I have my products called Buffered C Eliminate. You take it until you get a little bit of loose stool, then you back off in your dose. You get to figure out how much you actually need. Since over 3,000 enzymes in the body depend on vitamin C, it's one of those things you need to to shoot your health to a whole new level. So I wanna invite you all again to what I mentioned at the beginning of the show, my open house at my new office where you can enjoy delicious foods, you can see the, the exercise pool, you can see the gym, you can see the lab set up, the whole bit. Vegan foods, juicing will be there for your availability. You need to RSVP though. Do that at info at blooddetective.com. The date, write it down, is October 26th from 3 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Thanks so much for joining me today. This is Dr. Michael Wald. You've been listening to Ask the Blood Detective. If you want to reach me, give me a call at 914-552-1442. Show you.